to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want to speak today on how you were meant to be free. And then the next two Sundays, I hope you'll make every effort to be here because I'm going to preach one message on how we need to be free and how we can be free from things that that we as believers sometimes get ourselves entangled in, that we really have no business getting ourselves entangled in, and then it hinders our spiritual life. But I believe God's going to set some people free by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, the Sunday that I'm really looking forward to, I want to preach a message on how We are free to worship. We sang a song today about that. But I've learned that people are bound up in their praise and they're bound up in their worship. Some people are bound up in both. Some people have a a freedom to worship, but they just are bound up to praise. And I just think it's something that God wants me to address. And so I'm going to preach, and I'm again believing by the power of the Holy Spirit that God is going to liberate us. I don't want anything holding me back when it comes to my expression to appreciation to the Lord, amen? I look at it this way. If I, if I can go fishing like I did a few weeks ago, and I haven't been doing any fishing lately, unless I want to be wet. I guess the rain doesn't bother the fish. But man, the, the, the lake looks like chocolate milk, doesn't it? It's like fishing in chocolate milk. So I haven't, but I went fishing a few weeks ago, and I found the fish, and man, I was catching two and three pounds spotted bass, uh, man, on, like crazy, and just found the right spot. And when I catch them, sometimes I get excited if I get a big one. But I'm going to tell you what, I've made up my mind. I'm not going to get all, all excited about catching a bass or killing a large buck or birdie in a hole when I'm playing golf or jumping up and down and yelling in, at home when some college kids wearing orange or garnet uh, and black score a touchdown and then come to church with my hands in my pocket. I'm not going to be guilty of that. i made up my mind. I'm going to give Jesus, if I can give that stuff my emotion and my energy and my passion that I'm going to walk in here and give God something. Come on. And I, men, especially us, because we men, we can be stoic and we can be self-conscious. And, and, and that's, that, you know, the devil likes that. I'm preaching now. I did this in the first service. I'm preaching now. But the devil likes it when we're that way. He does not want us to praise and worship. But, but men, we are to be the spiritual leaders. Come on, man. Amen. We are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. We're not supposed to wait on the women to lead us in worship, but thank God when they do, okay? But the women, no. The man is supposed to be the spiritual leader. God designed it that way. And so, men, we need to come in here and we need to say, you know what, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm lifting my hands up. Hallelujah. I was made in the image of God. I'm going to give God what belongs to him. I'm going to give him praise. He's been good to me this week. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Some of you need to learn how to whoop. Some of y'all need to learn how to just cut loose a woo, hallelujah. There you go, that's it. You need to learn how to just let it out. You whoop for everything else, you need to whoop for Jesus. Hallelujah, I'm gonna write me a message called whoop for Jesus. <laughs> that will be a hit, won't it? Hallelujah, so I'm gonna quit preaching it and I'll preach it in a few weeks. John chapter eight, I wanna begin at verse 31. John chapter eight, beginning at verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Now let me just, let me pick this a little bit and then I'll let you sit down. 
If you go back up a few verses in this chapter, he, he talks about the Jews who believed in him. But that's not what this says, does it? Those Jews who believed him. They heard something that he said and they gave it acknowledgement. They said, okay, we agree with you on that. But they didn't believe in him. How many know there's a difference between being somebody who says, okay, well, I, I acknowledge that there's a God or that Jesus is the Savior. But there's a difference between that and really being saved and born again. There's a difference between saying it and having it, believing it, practicing it. And so this group just believed something he said. So Jesus said to them, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How many are glad the Bible and what it says, the word of God can liberate you? Well, they, got, they bowed up, as we would say down south. They bowed up on the Lord. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. And have never been in bondage to anyone. Got a little attitude. You hear that? They got attitude. Two snaps in a circle. You know what I'm saying? Got a little attitude. How can you say you will be made free? That didn't bother Jesus. And two snaps in a circle don't bother the Lord. And he said, I love this. Now he bowed up himself. Jesus answered them, most assuredly. There's no doubt in my voice, boys. You listen to me. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. There's a difference between being a slave to sin and being a child of God. And then he said in verse 36, Therefore, if the son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. Come on, y'all celebrate the word. I'm going to tell you when Jesus saves you, he doesn't three-quarters save you. He doesn't seven-eighths save you. He doesn't 999 slash backslash one-thousandths save you. When he saves you, he saves all of you. He redeems all of you. He forgives all your sins. It is transformative and it is liberating. And when he sets you free, the old is gone and there's a whole new life ahead of you, baby. And it ain't, it's wonderful. That's all I got to say. It ain't nothing like you've ever experienced. Come on, somebody give Jesus praise in this house while you're being seated. You can be seated. A number of years ago, when I was an associate pastor at Praise Cathedral in Greer, the church that planted this church 21 years ago last month. I had an opportunity to preach in the Sunday night service. Pastor Johnson had allowed me to preach as he, as he did regularly. I was always grateful for that. The Lord dealt with me to preach a message, not this message, but a similar thought on spiritual freedom. And so that Sunday afternoon, I did something a little different. I rode down to the county or the city jail, the Greer City detention center and I walked in and I saw the sergeant and I said sir my name is Pastor Chris Starr I'm the youth pastor and associate pastor of Praise Cathedral I'm preaching tonight I know this is going to sound a little strange but I'm preaching tonight on spiritual freedom and I want to ask something of you to help me illustrate my sermon tonight I want to ask that you will take me back and lock me up in your detention center well you should have seen the look on his face but as I explained what I was trying to do, he, he quickly grasped it. And he said, sure, Pastor, I'll be glad to help you out with this. 
And so he took me back and took me to the jail cell and unlocked it. And I walked in and I turned around and he shut that door and locked it. And I said, I want you to walk away and just leave me here for a while. And he said, okay. And he left me. And I sat down in that jail cell. I had never been arrested. I've never been in jail. And I, I went over and I sat down on the little cot. And I didn't stay there for 30 seconds or a minute. I just sat there for a while. I wanted to feel what it was like. I looked at those block walls. I looked at the bars on that detention center cell. I looked at that door that there was no way that I could open. I want to tell you, it wasn't a very good feeling to be confined like that. Not at all. And finally, after several minutes, I called for the sergeant. And I said, I'm ready to get out now. And he unlocked the door and he let me out. And I went to church that night and shared with them as I preached what I had done. And they looked at me about like the sergeant did. But you need to understand that when I asked the sergeant to let me out, he quickly obliged me because I was a law-abiding citizen. There was no cause to keep me confined in there. It wasn't my purpose. It wasn't the way things were supposed to be because, you see, as a law-abiding citizen, I was meant to be free. And I want to begin this message by saying to you this morning, you were meant to be free. When God created you as a human being, he created you to walk and live in freedom. When God created Adam, the first man, and of course Eve, he created them to walk and live in freedom. He created them as a free being. He wasn't created as a slave or a robot, but he was created to be unconstrained. He, he, he said to Adam, you're free to work in the garden however you want to tend it. You're free to live anywhere you want in this garden. You're, you're free to, to uh, name the animals. However you want to name them. You don't, whatever, what do you want to call that thing with a long neck? Well, Father, I think, I'll, I think I'll call it giraffe. Well, that sounds good to me. He didn't tell him what to name the animals. It was his choice. As a matter of fact, Adam was even free to either serve God and obey God or disobey God. And he walked in freedom. It was how God created us. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, there's a very important verse there where God is telling Adam, what to do. Adam says, you've created me. I'm a brand new creation. What is my purpose? What do you want me to do? And so God told him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But one of the things he said in that verse is subdue the earth. And to subdue means to bring it under subjection, to conquer it. I think that's very important because I think we need to understand as just as human beings that we were not created to be subdued. We were not created to be brought under subjection by anyone or anything on this earth. Are you seeing this? We were meant to walk and live in freedom. Now, I want to make sure that we understand something here clearly. When I say you were meant to be free, that does not mean that you were meant to be free so that you could do whatever you want to do, especially when it comes to morality, or we might as well go ahead and say it, immorality. In other words, that freedom means that you can live any old way you want to. That's not what I'm saying. Because oftentimes people interpret freedom to mean, well, I can do what I want to do. And nobody has the right to tell me what to do or the right to tell me what not to do. It's my life. That's part of our culture now in America, that individualism. It's, it's part of the society that we live in. And we're inundated with it all the time. Don't tell me what to do. 
I'll do whatever I want to do. I'll determine what's right for me. Don't tell me what's right for me. I'll determine what's right for me. And it's that moral relativism. It's really seen most evidently in the ideology or the philosophy behind the pro-abortion movement. You know, they don't even like that term. They would rather prefer you use pro-choice. Pro-choice. They like to talk about the freedom that they have to choose whether or not to abort the baby. And it's a freedom that is, just, that is all about choice regardless of any moral ramifications. Here's the thing, though. It's a very selfish freedom, and it's an immoral freedom because it means the death of an unborn child. The moral conflict and the hypocrisy in that ideology is evident in that one person's freedom takes away the freedom of another person, the unborn child. But you see, that's what happens when you're in sin and you take the concept meant to be free and you use it to exercise your sinfulness. That's not God's plan. It never was God's plan. As a matter of fact, God set moral parameters for Adam and Eve. He said to them, you can eat of the fruit of the tree of, of any tree in this garden. You know, there could have been thousands of trees in the garden. Apple trees, granny apples, candy apples. I don't know apples. Granny apples, green apples. Huh? Red, delicious. I thought they're all red and delicious. Unless they're green. I've seen yellow apples, peaches. That would have been in the southern part of the garden. Pears, bananas, pineapples. Y'all, pineapples don't grow on trees. Are y'all awake? Now, see, if you were awake, I just got you awake. Pineapples grow on the ground. But he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden. But he said, there's one tree that's not yours. It's mine. You don't eat it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the day you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Not just physically die, but you're going to be separated from me. Because he knew that would be disobedience and sin. And so God set moral parameters. Now, somebody might ask. It's a good question. Why does God establish moral boundaries for humanity? You know, he has the Ten Commandments. The thou shalts, the thou shalt nots, the do's and the don'ts of the Bible, they're there. Why does God do that? Because some people think real freedom is the absence of moral barriers. But what we found in reality is that real freedom is experienced within the proper moral parameters that have been established by God. Let me give you an example that might help you. I remember years ago, and I used it in a message, it was a long time ago, uh, about a study that was done with preschool children and a playground. And the great thing about the Internet is that information is accessible, obtainable so readily. So I went to the Internet, and sure enough, I found the study. I, I actually saw it in several different sources. And here was the simple study. The simple study was conducted to discover the effects of a fence around a playground and the consequent impact that it would have on preschool children. So all of you who are in education should find this interesting. So here is how the, how the study was conducted. There, was, there were two playgrounds that were selected. One had a fence and one did not. A teacher took a group of preschool children at the recess hour to the playground that did not have a fence and allowed the children to play, and they wanted to see how the children would respond. In the second scenario, they took the preschool children to the playground with the fence, 
and again, wanted to observe how they responded to see if it impacted them in any way, positively or negatively. And here's what the study discovered, that when the little preschool children came with their teacher to this foreign playground with no fence, and the teacher said, all right, you all have 30 minutes, go play. That instead of the children running out and playing on the equipment and running all over, they all huddled next to the teacher and would not leave the teacher. However, when the teacher took them to the playground with a fence, And she said, okay, now you can go play. The children ran all over the playground and enjoyed all of the equipment and played for 30 minutes and explored the area. And here's what they discovered from the study. The overwhelming conclusion was that with a given limitation, children felt safer to explore a playground. The reason I bring that study up is because for me it helps illustrate the point that I'm trying to make with moral parameters. It illustrates for me that God gives moral fences, if you will, the do's and the don'ts, not to restrict us, not to put us in a prison, not to restrain us, but rather to protect us so that we can safely enjoy this freedom that we possess. You see, that child in a playground without a fence could very easily wander out past the playground invisible parameter off the property and go into a street where there's busy traffic and be hit by a car. God forbid there could be a pedophile that could get that child. Or worse yet, it gets beyond the parameters of the the playground and wanders off and gets lost in the town or the city. The fence keeps those things from happening. It keeps the child safe. That child didn't feel like it was in a prison. It felt like it was in a place of freedom. That's why God gives us the do's and don'ts. Because God knows that when we violate the laws that he's established, whether that's with sex, whether that's with uh, anything else in life, work, money, where, where if we violate the, the do's and the don'ts, then we get into trouble. There's ultimately negative consequences. But if we stay within the parameters what, that God has established for us, not only are we serving God and not only are we walking in fellowship and obedience with God, but we're kept safe. Take the concept of marriage, for example. It's a perfect example. Some people think marriage is so confining. How can you, how can you stop playing the field and I get to date all these girls and get out with all these guys? How can you confine yourself to one individual for the rest of your life? Well, you do it because it's freedom. It's freedom. I know people don't see it, but it is. It's freedom. It's liberating. When I made a covenant with Leah that now has gone on for almost 32 years where we said, it's you, and it's me, and that's it. Uh, Ravi Zechariah said love, love is, is of the nature that it, it, it isn't free in the sense that you just get to do whatever you want. People think that's love, but it's like the old song, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Real love binds us to one another. But in that binding of one another, we say I do to each other, but I don't to anybody else. But it's within that kind of relationship, covenant relationship, that we find real freedom, that there's a liberty, and we can do all kinds of things together. We're free. We're a a partner. We're a couple. And within the confines of marriage, God has allowed us to do so many things, things I never would have found if I would have jumped from one affair to another as a bachelor or if I had been unfaithful in marriage. There's a freedom there. And if you're still unconvinced, let me just tell you right now that Anything outside of that is not free. Anything outside of that is not freedom. It's misery. 
I'll get back to that in just a minute. But you were meant to be free. I want to narrow this topic even more. Not only were you meant to be free, but you were meant to be free from sin. Adam and Eve had total freedom, even with the moral parameters, especially with the moral parameters. They had such unbelievable freedom. And then the snake showed up. I bet Adam wished he had a 12-gauge shotgun that day. Because I love to say it, I'll say it all my life. If Adam would have been a southern boy, he'd have shot the snake and chopped down that tree, and we'd still be in paradise. But he wasn't a southern boy, and there weren't any shotguns. And so Adam and Eve listened to the devil, who is the tempter. And this is so interesting, and I don't have time to preach on this, but if you see it, you know what he did? He made them question their freedom. God's holding out on you. That's why you can't go to that tree of knowledge of good and evil because God's holding out. Because if you do that, you'll be like God. They were already like God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. They were already like God. It's amazing. When we get in trouble is when we stop looking at what God has blessed us with and we start looking at the things that we have no business messing with. That's what gets us in trouble. And so the devil convinced her and Eve took the fruit and Adam ate it and when they did they disobeyed God and that at that moment they lost their freedom and they were enslaved to sin and to Satan but here's the thing because Adam was the federal head of the human race then not only was he enslaved but we became enslaved to sin and not only did he become enslaved and lose his freedom to sin and the devil but so did we Jesus said in John 8 34 the text that we read most assuredly I say to you Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. It's pretty plain. As a matter of fact, there's the personification there of sin as a slave master. In Romans chapter 6, Paul references several times how a sinner is a slave to sin. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 26, Paul encourages Timothy to correct those in the church where he pastored who are in sin that, and I quote, they may come to their senses. And escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. See, when you're in sin, you think you're free, but you're not. Sin is telling you what to do. The devil is in control of you. He, he, has, he has you captive, and you do what, do what he wants you to do. Jesus even went so far as to say at one point that if you're a sinner, that the devil is your father. That's not a good thing, is it? Now, I know when I preach like this, sometimes I try to think about my audience. A lot of times I think about my audience. And audience, and I thought there could be somebody here in the, in the service or watching by live stream that's, that may not be saved, okay, and you're in sin. And you might be bowing up a little bit like this group did that Jesus was talking to. And you're saying, oh, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not a slave, okay. I'm free, man. Nobody tells me what to do. I, I'm liberated, all right. I'm under nobody's control. So I don't believe what you're saying. Well, that's fine. You, you, can, you can deny it and you can argue with me all you want, but it doesn't change the fact that you are what you are. It could be that you are blind to the fact. Y'all ever been blind to something? I think we all have been. We thought we knew something until somebody just proved us wrong. And then we went, oh, now, now I have to admit I was wrong. God forbid we admit that we're wrong. Well, not God forbid. God says if you're going to get saved, you have to admit that you are wrong. And so it might be that you're wrong. As a matter of fact, you are wrong. You're blind to the fact that sin is controlling you. Those sins you energetically 
commit, they're controlling you. Let me just say it to you this way. Free sex isn't free. I know that we live in a society now where the, 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 the people, you know, talk, they, 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 they see sex as not a taboo anymore. And, and there's, it's a big thing now that, that young, young couples who fall in love, they move in together. It's just the standard thing you do now. You know, that's been going on for years. But it's like it's the thing now is you move in together. Let's try it out, okay? We'll do a test run. Seems like that's the smart thing to do, okay? You do a test run. Well, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where God advocates for a test run. Why don't you try that with God and say, God, I think I want to have a relationship with you. Can we just move in together for about a week or two or three or four months and let's try this thing out and let's see if it's going to work and then if it doesn't, you'll have an out and I'll have an out. How about I start preaching that? I bet I could fill a church up preaching that way, couldn't I? You can do a test run with God. The problem is, elder, it would be heresy. It's heresy. You don't do a test run to God. You come and you either are in or you're out. You commit or you don't commit. And that's the problem is, why don't, why don't you commit? Watch this. Because you want your freedom. You want your freedom in case something better comes along. Oh, you don't have to amen me because I'm all up in your stuff right now. You don't have breath to breathe because I'm all up in your lungs right now. You can't get an amen out. Because if some other good-looking thing or hunk comes along, I might want to dump her. See, that's not freedom. That's a bondage. You can't see it, but that's a bondage. Free sex isn't free. Ask somebody who gets an STD. Ask somebody who gets an unwanted pregnancy. Ask the people who are sleeping with everything in a skirt and they're spreading themselves all over the place, if you will, physiologically and physically and, and emotionally and mentally, the whole nine yards, they're just, they're just spreading themselves like mayonnaise on a piece of bread, like mustard and on one of those hot dogs over here skins that I ate yesterday. Just spreading themselves out. And what they're doing is they are destroying themselves because you're not made to be mustard or ketchup spread out on a hamburger. That's not how we were designed. And then we wonder why emotionally and, and mentally we're a wreck. And why we have a hard time committing. Because what we think is freedom is actually bind, bind. And I just can't seem to find the right. I just can't seem to make it work. It's because you just keep destroying the very thing that you keep stepping over the fence. You keep punching a hole through the fence. That's good preaching, Pastor. I know you all up in it, and you're talking about things that are, you're talking about sex, Pastor, from the pulpit. Well, if I don't address stuff, who will? My mind whirs, and I have to make sure I don't say things I shouldn't say. The party life. It's a prison. It's a glorified prison. If you, I'm, I'm going to talk to women. If you're a woman and you love to party on the weekend with your girls, okay, my girls, I'm going to give them my girls. We're going to go party. And you live for the weekend, you're in bondage because you work all week and this ain't nothing but a slave shop for you. It's an inconvenience so you make enough money so you can go spend it on the weekend. 
You're in bondage. Five days of your week is nothing but a bondage. And then you get with your girls and you tell your husband, I'm going to pardon my girls. You better not say anything about it because if you do, I'll make life rough for you. You're going to watch the kids because I'm going out with the girls. And you go clubbing, you're out there drinking and flirting with other men and getting drunk and acting the fool. You're a grown woman, married, with children. You want to tell me that that's freedom? Mm -mm. That's what you got to do to live? You're bound up. You're chained by that. That's what's got control of you. You just don't see it, do you? You do now. What if somebody takes it away from you? You go into withdrawals. I have to be normal. I have to be a wife to my husband. I actually have to be a mom to my kids. I actually have to go to work and actually find value in that and find out that that's where I'm actually being the most productive. Amen, Pastor. That's really good. That's, it's, it's, uh, you are all up in, yeah, I am. Because if I don't preach this, who will? Okay, I'm going to talk about it. That's not freedom. A drunken stupor, an uncontrollable urge for more drugs are evidences of bondage. Puking your guts out, grabbing a toilet after you've got yourself so drunk you don't know which way's up from down. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. You're in bondage to the toilet. I know he doesn't have a good connotation now. It used to be you could talk about Bill Cosby. But now you can't talk about Bill Cosby. He still was a funny guy. And he did a thing one time about that. When you get drunk and he says people like that talk to the toilet. Oh, toilet, I love you, toilet. Oh, toilet, you're so good to me, toilet. Thank you for being here, toilet. People get dumb. That's, that's not freedom. Okay, I guess I ought to preach the text. Jesus was teaching in the temple. He had a curious but antagonistic crowd. He starts talking about the subject of freedom, and the Jews replied, as I read to you, with some sass. We are children of Abraham. We've never been in captivity. So who do you think you are? Make us free. Well, that was a lie. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, a lot of you do, they were, they were in Egyptian captivity. Remember that? Moses, Red Sea, y'all remember that? 12 plagues? Okay, they were in Egyptian captivity for 400 years. That's right. And then, if you keep reading in the Bible, Israel declined as a nation, and God sent them to the, into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And then the irony is, the hypocrisy, is that when they said this, they were in Roman captivity. So it was a lie. It was denial, and that's not a river in Egypt. You always love it when you can get that in in a sermon. So how can I correlate that to this message? Because when I read that, here's what I thought about. Just because you ignore your enslavement to sin or you deny your enslavement to sin does not make it better or make it go away. If you're in sin, God knows it, you know it, all the people around you know it. And the only way to be set free is you've got to admit it. There is 
is a component of salvation called confession. It's a vital component. And confession in its simplest form really means that you just agree with God about what he says concerning your sin. When you confess your sins, you say, okay, God, you're right. You're right. I am a sinner. I am a slave to sin. I don't have freedom. I'm in bondage and I'm tired of this. And I ask, I need a savior. I need a liberator. That's how people pray when they get saved. I need to be set free, God. That's confession. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I also think it's interesting that the Jews made an appeal to their lineage. They were really, really proud of the fact that they were descendants of Father Abraham. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And they falsely assumed that because they were direct descendants of Abraham, that that automatically made them children of God. It didn't. And let me just correlate that because I think we need to go down this road. Just because your parents were or are Christians, and just because you grew up in a Christian home, and just because you grew up going to church, does not mean that automatically you're saved. just doesn't work that way. You are a slave to sin until you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not ethnicity. It's not your family pedigree that makes you right with God. The faith of your father and your mother at some point has to become your faith. The salvation that your fathers and your mothers has at some point become your salvation. The freedom they know in Christ at some point you have to experience for yourself. You know, we live down south, and our southern culture has certain aspects to it, just like any other culture in the United States of America. And let's just be honest. I'm going to call it out. One of them is that in where we live, especially in the Bible Belt, the Southern Baptist denomination is really strong. Eighty percent of people around here are Southern Baptists. A lot of you came from Southern Baptist background. You, you grew up Southern Baptist. That's nothing wrong with that. Praise God for the Southern Baptist. I have Southern Baptist preacher friends and Southern Baptist friends. So I'm not picking on the, the Southern Baptist. But it's just, it is what it is. So let's just talk about it. I have asked people before, are you a Christian? And they'll look at me and say, well, I'm a Baptist. That's funny, isn't it? I said, well, that's not what I asked you. I asked you if you're a Christian. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? And the answer is, no, your religious affiliation, while that's good, does not mean you're saved. Okay, and that's no different than if, I, if they just said, well, I'm Methodist, or I'm a Roman Catholic, or I'm Church of God, or I'm Assembly of God. doesn't matter. Thank God that you're in a church. But that's not what saves you. That's not what changes your life. It's not being middle class or lower class or upper class or white or black or Latino or any other ethnicity. It's not even being a charter member of the church. I think some people think, well, I'm a charter member. I helped start high praises, so I'm going to heaven. No, you're not. That's not what makes you, praise God that you were here when we started. You know, we got some that were kids, and now they're young adults, and they can say, man, I was here when it started. I was two, but I was part of it. I made the nursery work. That doesn't save you. The question is not those things. The question is, have you been born again? Have you been set free by Jesus Christ? That's what matters. I'm closing with this. You were meant to be free from sin. And y'all, Jesus came to this earth, the Son of God, robed with flesh, 
Christmas story, the Easter story, came to this earth, died on an old rugged cross for one purpose and one purpose alone so that he could set human beings free from sin and make us where we could be back in right relationship with God. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus was just beginning his ministry. He walks into a synagogue, kind of like a church, a small church, or maybe a Bible study. He walks in, and they say, would you, Rabbi, say something? And he reaches over and gets the, the scroll of Isaiah and unrolls it and goes to chapter 61, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And by the way, when he finished, he said, this, this scripture is fulfilled in me. So he was talking about himself. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And that doesn't mean people who are in poverty economically. It means people who are in poverty spiritually. You're a poor slave with nothing. And Jesus, I've come to give you some good news. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives and I've come to set free those who are oppressed. I am a liberator. I am an emancipator. That's why Jesus came. So when you hear the good news and you believe and you repent of your sins and you turn to God, what happens? Jesus literally frees you from the power of sin and he frees you to say no to sin and yes to God and he frees you from the guilt. You weren't made to carry all the guilt that you carry from the sins that you commit. Don't you get tired of that? You weren't designed to carry that, but he frees you from the guilt. He frees you from the fear of waking up in the middle of the night dead and in hell. He frees you from all the shame that you carry, from all the bad moral decisions that you make. He sets you free so that you can walk in holy, perfect relationship with God forever and ever and ever. That's, that's real freedom, somebody. Come on. That's real freedom. That's when you just start living. Stand with me, please, all over this house. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.